beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, I would not be surprised that as we read through this particular chapter of the book of Ruth that a few eyebrows were raised. We don't quite know what to do with a story like this. We don't want to think the worst, for we are dealing here with God's word. But there are elements in this story which make us wonder about the propriety of the actions of some of the participants, especially Naomi and Ruth. What is the problem? Well, in the first place, it appears that we are confronted with two scheming women trying to entrap an unsuspecting male. Naomi coaches her daughter-in-law, Ruth, on how to catch herself a man. She tells her to wash up and to put on her best clothes and to go and lie down at the feet of Boaz, the attended victim of their feminine schemes, when he is asleep. It would also appear that she tells her to do this in order to seduce him. And Ruth willingly goes along with all this. She does as she is told. She lies down at his feet, and when Boaz wakes up, she pretty much gets what she is after. After that, Boaz tells her to go back to sleep, which she does. But she makes sure that she is gone before anyone could recognize her. She kind of sneaks away. This all seems rather inappropriate, doesn't it? Sinful, even. So what, what do we do with a story like this? How do we explain it? Why did God put this story in the Bible? And what do we learn from it? In what way does it contribute to our understanding of our covenant relationship with God and with each other? That's what I want to preach to you about this afternoon. The theme is as follows. The Lord gives rest to Ruth in her search for a Redeemer. And then we will see three things. You will see rest pursued, rest promised, and rest assured. Now, you will notice that in my theme, I just mentioned the word rest. I use that word because that is what the text does in the first verse of chapter 3. It says there, Should I not seek rest for you, that it may go well with you? Now, you will remember that that is something which Naomi was after all along. We know that from the first chapter. And that is why she tried to send Ruth and her sister-in-law Orpah away back to the land from which they came. She wanted them to have a husband where they could find rest in the home of another husband. As we saw to Naomi's way of thinking, life is hardly worth living without a husband. And that is why she urged both Orpah and Ruth to go back to the country Moab and to seek a husband there. Ruth didn't do that. She wanted to seek her happiness with Naomi's people, with God's people, with the people of Bethlehem. Ruth goes the way of faith. She does what she knows is right before God, and the Lord blesses her. And as we know from the chapter, just after that, in chapter 2, she finds favor in the eyes of the people, and through the kindness of Boaz, she no longer has to go hungry. 
he gives food for her and for her mother-in-law. Naomi is witness to all this, and she, of course, is delighted. She perks up. Whereas before, Naomi spoke of how the Lord had caused her to become bitter, and now she speaks of the fact, as he says in chapter 2, verse 20, that his kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi is brought back to that wonderful reality of God's covenant ways. She realizes once again that there is still hope for her and her family. What is the case? As soon as Ruth comes back from the field that first day that she went out to glean, Naomi realizes that the man who showed such kindness to Ruth and her was none other than Boaz, a relative of her husband's. And that made it possible if he was willing to continue the name and the inheritance of her husband, of Naomi and of her son. If things go as planned, then her dead husband's and her son's name do not have to be cut off from Israel. For that was one of the greatest fears of the Israelite women. Each Israelite woman hoped that her son or grandson or great-grandson would be the Messiah. And that is the main reason that they did not want the family name to be discontinued in the land of Israel. It was important to retain your inheritance. For with the inheritance, the land which was given to your family, the name was attached. And if there is no longer a male heir, then your inheritance would revert to others. And in this way, the Lord God kept alive the expectation of the Messiah. To be childless was a curse. Now you can understand further why Naomi was as dependent as she was. It was not just because she no longer had the companionship of her husband and the companionship of her two sons. No, it was also very much because she realized the implications of her sudden childlessness. And so it's understandable that Naomi does what she does. Naomi has to find a way to remind Boaz of his duty to the nearest of kin. For in the Old Testament, the nearest kin could carry on the family name. The Lord God himself made that regulation. The problem is, this is a very delicate matter. How do you make this happen? How do you deal with such a thing. For in the first place, Ruth is a foreigner, a Moabitess. You know what it says in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3? It says there, no Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, even down to the 10th generation. No doubt, Naomi was aware of that. She knows about the curse that God has put on Moab. Furthermore, Ruth was also a young widow. And Boaz, as is evident from verse 10, is an older man. He's not thinking of marriage. His mind is on other things. And so how do you broach the delicate matter of marriage in such a situation? And therefore, Naomi had to think of a way to take the initiative. So what does she sue? So does, what does she do? She tells Ruth to go to the threshing floor in the evening unnoticed. And there she will find Boaz busy at work 
winnowing the barley. After he is done, she should mark the place where he, he is to lie down there and to place herself at his feet while he is sound asleep. Now, no doubt there are some things here that we don't quite understand. In the first place, not everybody knows what winnowing is. Well, that's easily explained. The winnowing of barley is done in order to separate the husks from the grain. The grain with the husks would be thrown up in the air against a stiff breeze so that the wind will blow away the chaff while the heavier grain falls straight down. The winds are most favorable at night, and for that reason Boaz was there that evening. He also slept there at night, for the gates to the city are closed at night. But another matter is not as easy to explain. And that is the matter of Ruth agreeing to lie down at the feet of Boaz. Why would she do that? Was there no other way to get his attention? Well, let's take a close look at the text. The NIV says that she is to put on her best clothes. Some commentators even suggest that Naomi wants her to array herself like a bride. However, the Hebrew does not support such a notion. In this case, the ESV is much simpler and closer to the original. The Hebrew only speaks about a cloak. And therefore, the ESV translates, wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak. Now from verse 15, we know that this is a very heavy and a large garment. For later on, she is told by Boaz to hold out her shawl, which is the same word. And then the RSV speaks there about the mantle. It actually refers to the cloak she is wearing. In both instances, that is the case. And Boaz is to put six measures of barley in it. Now, six measures of barley is a very large amount. Only a large and heavy mantle would be able to hold such a heavy load. And so it is quite clear that Ruth is very sensibly attired. She wears a large, heavy coat. She chose a large and heavy mantle like that on purpose, for it would hide her identity. She does not want anyone to be able to recognize her. Why is that? Because she is ashamed of what she is doing? The text does not support such an interpretation. Quite the opposite. For throughout the book, we find that her reputation among the people is impeccable. The people have a very high opinion of her. That's clear from verse 11, for example. And Boaz says there, All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. The term which is used here is also used in Proverbs 31, verse 10, where we read, A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. And the same is found in Proverbs 12, verse 4. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown. That is how she is regarded by everyone in town. She is a worthy woman with a noble character. Any man would be glad to have her. 
It's not clear exactly why she would lie down at the feet in order to get his attention. But one thing we do know know for certain. As an honorable and decent woman, she is not interested in the least in seducing Boaz. It is clear from their conversation together that nothing even close to anything sexual was going on between the two. On the contrary, as one commentator states, she does not come to the threshing floor as a second Tamar. You all know who Tamar was, don't you? She was the daughter-in-law of Judah who disguised herself as a prostitute so that her father-in-law, that through her father-in-law she would be able to carry the carry on her lineage. Says that commentator further, what she really does in reality is lay down in her mourning in her grief. She comes to tell the kinsman that from her side she is ready to accept God's order in her life and it is not that it is now the question of whether he also resigns himself according to the law of his God. In acting the way she did, she was only interested in doing the will of God. You may say, well, wasn't there another way? Perhaps there was. We do not know enough about the customs of that day in order to answer that question satisfactorily. But we do know that both Naomi and Ruth were very honorable in their intention. The law concerning the redemption and the marriage by the next of kin had been given by God, and they knew about their God-given rights. God had ordained it that way, and they certainly were allowed to make use of those laws. Makes us to the second point. In the middle of the night, Boaz suddenly wakes up. Something startled him, and to his surprise, he finds a woman lying at his feet. So he asks who she is. She says to him, I am your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. I don't think that she is asking him here to snuggle up under his coat. No, Boaz knows exactly what she means and what she is referring to. For the expression she uses refers to to a request for one's protection. Boaz uses the same expression in chapter 2. He says there, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz speaks there about the wings of the Lord. And here in chapter 3, Ruth uses the same language, says the same thing. The NIV, however, as does the RSV and the King James Version, translate this word as denoting the skirt of his coat. But it is much better to translate this passage to state that she requests Boaz to spread his wings over his maidservant. That's also how the ESV translates it. According to the ESV, he says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Sure, that's not an expression that we would use, would it? But it was a common expression during biblical times. The Bible uses it more frequently. The protection of the wings refers to the wings of an eagle. We just sang about that a moment ago, too. The wings of an eagle are very, very strong. An eagle can carry heavy loads with apparent ease. It can also carry its young on its wings. 
One way the eagle teaches its young to fly is by soaring to great heights, to, by soaring to great heights with the fledgling on its back, and then drop it and swoop underneath the young bird and carry it to safety on its strong wings. And that is what Ruth is requesting of Boaz. As we saw, Boaz is likely considerably older than Ruth. Else he would not have commended her in verse 10 for not running after the younger men. And now Ruth wants him to spread his wings over her. In other words, to protect her. To keep her from falling. And she is allowed to do that. To ask that because he is the next of kin. That's how God has ordained it in his word. And Boaz fully understands. He doesn't get angry with her. No, on the contrary, he pronounces a blessing on her instead. He said, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than the one that, that you showed earlier. Than the first one you showed earlier. The word which he uses here for kindness has to do with covenant faithfulness. It has to do with loyalty. The earlier kindness which he referred to here no doubt refers to the kindness she showed to her mother-in-law from the very start. She is loyal to her. She does not leave her mother-in-law in the lurch by first looking after herself and her own interests. She does the Lord's will. And that's also what she is doing now. And that is why she does not run after the younger men either, whether rich or poor. No doubt Ruth was physically a desirable young woman. Else both Boaz and Naomi would not have been afraid of Ruth being molested. Other young men also, those with good reputations, will have had their eyes on her. Her own good reputation among the people made her even more desirable. Yet younger men do not interest her. Ruth wants to do the right thing before the Lord and before his people. And Boaz... He also realizes that, especially now that she puts away her own interests and shows interest only in doing what the Lord has prescribed. For he ordained the kind of marriage he is proposing at the urging of her mother-in-law. Also, Boaz has to do the same. He also has to do the will of the Lord in all this. And Boaz is a God-fearing man and is willing to do that. But there's still a problem. Boaz is not the nearest kin. There is someone who is nearer in kinship than he. And Boaz is aware of that. And that is why he did not stick his nose into the business of Naomi and Ruth either. He did not want to intrude in the matter. And so he tells her something which she already knows, because her mother-in-law had already told her, namely that there is a kinsman nearer than he. Boaz first had to clear it with the nearest kin before he would be able to marry her. That doesn't mean that he is trying to weasel out of it, not at all. He's an honorable man. And that is why he also calls upon the name of the Lord. He recognizes Ruth's action as an act of faith. He takes her words seriously. The fact that she is a Moabitess does not deter him either. Why not? Well, she is the widow of an Israelite, a native son. And because of her previous marriage, Ruth could no longer consider to be a foreigner. 
And so the curse which the Lord had pronounced upon the Moabites no longer applied to her. And that is why he states at the same time that if the other kinsman will not do what he is supposed to, according to the law of God, that then he will do it. Now, don't think that this was an easy commitment for Boaz to make. For as we know from the next chapter, the other kinsman finds all kinds of reasons why he will not marry her. For some reason, he is afraid of doing harm to his own inheritance. That's what he says. Now, the same thing may have been a problem for Boaz as well. For let us remember that Ruth is asking him to do more than just marrying him. The redemption she is asking for also includes the buying back of the inheritance belonging to Elimelech, the dead husband of Naomi. For that inheritance had already been sold. And the price of that land was in accordance with the worth of the number of crops until the year of Jubilee. In that year, all the land would automatically go back to the original family if the family still existed. In this way, no one could be disinherited in the land. And in so doing, the Lord God also ensured that there would be no poor people in the promised land. If Boaz now did what Ruth was asking, well, that would cost him money. And we all know that as soon as a commitment costs money, that then it becomes a different situation. For talk is cheap. We will promise all kinds of things, but when money is involved, well, then we're a lot more careful, aren't we? Nevertheless, Boaz does not hesitate in this matter. Whatever problems such a marriage would pose for him, he will do what is right. For he knows that if he follows the laws of God, he will never be disappointed. But what about Ruth? Now, she is still not sure what is going to happen to her. No doubt she was somewhat disappointed with Boaz's answer. She wanted to be sure about the future. Who doesn't? She wants to be able to come home to Naomi with good news. But now she still has to wait. But again, Ruth is willing to do that. She knows that a believer often has to wait. Wait for the Lord. A believer, you and I, we may not take things into our own hands. It's hard. It's especially hard for young people. Young people often do not want to wait for things. They want what they want now. They don't want to wait for marriage. And it is hard to wait. All of us have problems with that. I do too. But if time and again you take things into your own hands and you don't want to do the right thing before the Lord, then slowly but surely you will drift away from the Lord. In the least, you will make things difficult for yourself. You will certainly run the danger of ending up with a wrong marriage partner. Your life can become a life full of misery. Ruth, however, is a wise young woman. She does not go after the younger men. She does not go with her emotions and with her feelings. No, she goes the way of obedience. And now Ruth has to wait. She has to wait for an answer from Boaz. That meant sacrifice for her. 
She asked the way to see if there would be another man she might have to marry, a total stranger. But there again, we see the great faith of this young woman. She does not protest. She's willing to be patient. In this day and age, we often speak of falling in love with one another. And I know there is a certain element to that, a certain attraction that you can have. And then we speak about the right chemistry between a man and a woman, that they have to click. They have to be infatuated with each other. Many today even advocate that a couple should first live together for a while to see whether or not they can make a go for it. Well, you don't find any of that in the Bible. That's unscriptural. The Bible tells us that love is a command. Love is a commitment. A man and a wife have to love each other. That's not a choice. A marriage is a covenant between two people. And that comes first. Only then can infatuation and the right chemistry find a permanent home. A marriage is to be modeled after the covenant God made with his people. God loves us. Just the way we are. With all our faults and sins. And that's a good thing. Because otherwise, certainly me, we would be rejected if he accepted us on the basis of who we are on our own. And so, that's also what is expected, that kind of love that God has for his people between believers and the marriage between believers. For a believing man and a wife to love each other, however, does not take as much sacrifice as it does for God to love us. We are all sinful human beings. And therefore, it should not be so hard to ignore the faults of others if we are truly aware of our own sinfulness. Ruth, therefore, does not despair. She does not go against the advice of Boaz. She quietly waits. She trusts in the Lord. That's also the advice she receives from Naomi as she comes home, to wait. For she comes home fully loaded with grain. The Lord again has put Naomi to shame. When she came into Bethlehem, she said for the entire town to hear that she had come back empty from the land of Moab. But now the Lord has blessed her and Ruth in the meantime. How the Lord has shown himself to be a faithful covenant God. In the third point, he provided her and Ruth with plenty of food. And now it seems certain that her lineage will not die out in the land of Israel either. Boaz will see to it that her land will be redeemed, thereby ensuring future prosperity. And what is more, he will make sure as well that her husband's name will not die out in the land. The Messiah can still come from her lineage. And in this way, Boaz was acting in accordance with the spirit of the great Redeemer, which he and all believers were waiting for. Sure, it would take another 1,500 years at least before the great Redeemer would be born. But his spirit, his spirit was present nevertheless, just as he was with the prophets throughout the Old Testament. For it says in 1 Peter 1, verse 10 and 11, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care 
trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. That Spirit was alive also in Boaz and in Naomi and in Ruth. For Naomi and Ruth were not a couple of scheming females, as some might say. That's also clear from Naomi's reaction as she is told about the fact that Boaz first wants to consult with a closer relative. She does not again act in bitterness and complain about the uncertainty and delay. She's willing to wait and to advise Ruth to do the same. She has learned to trust the Lord again. The Lord has given both Naomi and Ruth rest. That is to say, he has given them peace of mind. They have both experienced that if you are willing to wait, the Lord will bless you. He has given them a redeemer in the form of Boaz, who is a shadow of the redeemer to come. They know that they are safe. Their future is secured. What about us today? About you and me today, brothers and sisters? into the new year. Well, we don't know what's going to happen this year, this coming year. But our future is also secure. None of us has to worry about poverty. The Lord will look after you and me in every way imaginable. Hasn't he always done so? The Lord also gives us the deacons to make sure that there's no undue hardship among us. We are so blessed. And God continues to bless us. And he does that in so many ways. Also for those who have difficult circumstances in life. Who have to deal with difficult health concerns. God gives us security. He gives us a secure future. What a blessing it is therefore to belong to a faithful church. Here you have brothers and sisters in the Lord who care for you. As long as you want to live in obedience, then you will always receive God's blessings. And God's promises are more than just material promises. They are so much more. They are especially spiritual promises and spiritual blessings. And those are so much more important. For not only do we have earthly redeemers, we also have a heavenly redeemer, the heavenly redeemer, which is Christ. Christ has died for my sins, for your sins. He redeemed us from our state of spiritual poverty, for even though he was rich, he did not hang on to his riches, but he became poor for us. And he gave us all his riches. To you and to me. And therefore we may be at rest. We may be at rest in the Lord. Only a true faith can sustain that peace and rest. Which we find only in the Lord. For the spirit of God is always with us. He is also with us this afternoon. How his faithfulness to us. He shows his faithfulness to us every time there's a baptism. And every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And every time God's word is opened. 
He shows it through the preaching and in the way that he provides for us in so many ways. In spite of hardships and illnesses, the Lord watches over us. In the book of Ruth, he showed us again how faithful he is to those who fully trust in him, who wait for him, and who are faithful to his commandments. And so today, we're also waiting, brothers and sisters. What are we waiting for? We are waiting for the second coming of that great Redeemer, for he is going to come again on the clouds. Don't be afraid. He is our bridegroom. Come, Lord Jesus, come. For we know we will never be disappointed. Amen.